The following podcast is designed to provoke, thought, spark, dialogue, educate, and entertain. The perspective and language may trigger a range of emotions, from laughter to angst and possibly anger. We welcome your feedback and thank you for listening. Have you ever read a good book that was thought-provoking and wanted to share it with your friends? Well, you come to the right place because that's what we do here. Welcome to the Bruz Bookshelf with your hosts, Lennon Giddens, Walter Atkins, Donovan Snipe, and Dr. Harvey Hinton III. A real talk book review podcast where we give you our raw commentary on our thoughts. Enjoy. The highly anticipated memoir from hip-hop icon Rick Ross chronicles his coming of age amid Miami's crack epidemic, his star-studded controversies, and his unstoppable rise to fame. Rick Ross is an abdominal presence in the music industry, but few know his full story. Now, for the first time, Ross offers a vivid, dramatic, and unexpectedly canon account of his early childhood, his tumultuous adolescence, and his dramatic ascendancy into the world of hip-hop. Born William Leonard Roberts II, Ross grew up across the bridge in a Miami at odds with the glitzy beaches, nightclubs, and yachts of South Beach. In the aftermath of the 1980 race riots and the Morrell boat lift, Ross came of age in the height of the city's crack epidemic, when home invasions and execution-style killings were commonplace. Still, in the midst of chaos and danger that surrounded him, Ross flourished, first as a standout high school football player, then as a dope boy in Cal City's notorious Matchbox housing projects. All the while, he honed his musical talent, overcoming setback after setback until a song called Hustlin' changed his life forever. From the making of Hustlin' to his first major deal with Def Jam, to the controversy surrounding his past as a correctional officer, and the numerous health scares, arrests, and views he has had to transcend along the way, Hurricanes is a revealing portrait of one of the biggest stars in the rap game, and an intimate look at the birth of an artist. Overall, man, what was your thoughts on the book? Good job, Walt, for picking this book. That's my first thought. Okay. So, are, are y'all Rick Ross fans? Um, yeah, well, me, well, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a Ross fan, man. I'm a, I'm a Ross fan to the fullest. Uh, Miami boy, he, so he's not too far from my area. Um, and also, like, uh, I look at music as being like a, a as a as a time capsule, and like the um, the uh, what they call that when the, the the background music is playing in a in a, in a movie. Damn. Soundtrack. The soundtrack, right. The soundtrack of like certain time periods in my life. So when Rick Ross' first album came out in 05, um, that hustling was, I was going to college in 05. So like we all remember vividly what we was doing at 18 years old or 20 years old going into college that first year. And that's that album along with that Jeezy album like got me through my first year or that first semesters of, uh, of college. So like, It'll ever be like you know one of my one of my favorite guys as it, as it pertains to the rap game. But as far as the book overall, um, I like the book. You know, um, I learned some very uh, deep stories about his family, and I learned some very uh, you know insightful information about um, the way he came about with with rapping his rapping style and some of the things that he went through in his life t- that got him to this point today, which is Harry Kings. Yeah. yeah. 
A life story is like a movie, like a movie. cinematic. It's like a movie. Hey. Yeah, it's like a, it is. This whole book was like a movie. I was like, okay, you, you okay, I, I see it. I see how you threw the food when they locked you up and say, I don't eat, I don't this. eat this. this. I don't eat food. I saw the whole scene. And it was like, man, we got to get a kosher food. This dude too real. <laughs> right, right. He threw. He said. He said his Kool Aid. His Kool Aid was so red. He just it left a stain on the concrete floor. <laughs> I never, I never drink that shit. Nigga, <laughs> you know who you fucking with? It's the boss. <laughs> That's why I gave. I gave the CEO. I gave the CEO a thousand dollars, and she bought me some orange chicken rice. and some rice. And some rice. I didn't even chew I it. Held it. I inhaled it. I was so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do anything <laughs> reckless. Kids <laughs> upstairs. I too thought this book was overly fantastic and also kind of boring. When I say fantastic, I mean hard to believe. Just like you said, it was too movie, it's too cinematic. I mean, I guess it's real, but blah. <laughs> Rick Ross has a weird relationship with the truth. So polite mm. to say it like that. I just felt like once he made it big, he never got out of character. So when I was reading this book, it was times in the book where I felt like he was in character, but then at times in the book, I felt like he let his guard down and endeared me to the person and not the artist. Like when he was talking about his family, his past, where he came from, you know, his upbringing and his childhood. But then it was sometimes, it was flashes in the book where he'll get back in character. It's kind of hard for me to take his word for it the book was it was okay for me he didn't come into my life when i was at that phase where i was consuming rap music like it was my life like a ball and mjg cons- you know consumption of my rap music so that's all man and you know, uh, you know what i think that's the beauty of the the situation and, uh, and like the beauty of rap itself because we all like consume rap differently at a certain age like when i know when i was when I was post-college, like 25, 26 to like 30 years old, the way I consumed rap then in comparison to what, when I, how I consumed rap at 18 years old was totally different, dog. Right. <laughs> it was totally right. different because I had, because you had like real world experiences going on. When you're 18 years old, you're young, wild, and free. You have no idea what your next meal going to be, let alone like how the world pretty much runs and, 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 uh, and works, you know? So you're not looking too you're not looking too far deep into like the the actual lyrics like that, you know. And you look at like to me, not to speak for everybody else, mm-hmm. but I used to look up to the rappers like they were my big brothers. So I used to cling on to every word that they said, and it was like your big brother talking to you and giving you that straight talk, no uh, no chaser without your mom or your right. dad. You know, around. like in the room, yeah, around. Yeah. They tell you like, yeah, and so like they, right. they kind of like raised me and molded the way I thought about certain things. Y'all was older than me, so for me it was like, okay, damn, you know what? I can play back to go back to 05 when I was fresh in college. My first taste of freedom, my first taste of being a man of my own and trying to figure out what life is all about at 18 years old, 
And then hearing this song like hustling come on back to back to back on the radio, like damn, you gotta hustle to make it happen, you know? Like <laughs> even if I didn't agree with a lot of the yeah. lyrics, I still was kinda I can relate to some of the stuff he was saying at the time. So and also he he from a long time, man. He from the crib, so you know, that's a little bias when it comes down to that. <laughs> Even when that song came out, people like around my age is like, man, that nigga don't know that fucking <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the real noise. Oh, yeah, he owes you a hundred favors. Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> hey, go ahead. No, he Right. No, he owe you favors. He the supplier, but he owe you a favor. Man. Man, I think it's it's definitely a cinematic piece. Um, I think it's, it's good for the homies to read, you know, because it's in, it's entertaining and it's it's um, Ross is very smart, man. He's very smart and um, how he codes things and and how he tries to use mathematics. But um, I think it's like a combination of like, <laughs> have you ever seen that episode of the Boondocks when, when, when Riley be thinking he in a movie, he thinking he gangster, and he's thinking he in a yep. movie? Yep. It's like a combination of that. Yep. And Dusty Rhodes talking, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Whoa, I don't know if you know who right. Dusty Rhodes is, whoa. Yeah, I know Dusty Rhodes is. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great comparison. So you got like this facet. You know, like like Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, like was this fat white dude that was like, I'm still gonna be as fly as Ric Flair. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like he yeah, was just yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. the counter <laughs> of Ric Flair. I'm gonna be the fat white version of Ric Flair, and it was like Riley just everything was a Scarface movie, and that's how Rick Ross is. Man. Like you, you put that shit together, man. And that's in this book. When when I was reading it, when I was reading it, man, I was hoping that he could find a way to turn it off so I get to know nah, who Rick nah, Ross is. he not turning that off. Rick Ross is like the personification. If I was rich, <laughs> I would do this. <laughs> and that's who he is, man. He always got the Beijing on his beard. He's always like you never catch him without a fresh line, without a fresh outfit on. Look like he I mean, just he made, the tags he made on it. That, talking about him. He was mad they threw him in the courtroom for having this beard trim. Made him look like a villain. Like, that's that old school black shit, bro. That's that old school black excellence. That Mississippi Delta shit. You know? Horse shit. Nah, dog. Black people stunt, dog. It can be a combination of both. Kanye said it, bro. It's in the black man's soul to rock that gold, bro. Like, that shit is deep within us, bro. It's way deeper than that. You know? What I found, I think it's that, and I also think it's something else because his is on a different level. Man. This is what I found interesting. You think a different level? Why you said that? Later on in the book, where he described that story about him leaving the club with the girl and his car got mm-hmm. shot up. I left the club a little around 4 a.m. and got into the Silver Rose Rose Phantom with Shatira. Black and one of my security guards were behind me in the van. As I crossed the bridge that connects Miami Beach to the Miami I knew, I had a moment of introspection. Where I came from, a lot of niggas never made it to the beach, but I had. And I made it a lot further than the Fountain Blue. Mm. I hopped on I-95 and headed home. As I approached the exit towards Fort Lauderdale, I called Black and told him I could take it from there. I was going to my house in seven hours. 
Everybody else was staying at the studio house in Davie. They didn't need to drive the extra hour at 5 in the morning so they could escort me the rest of the way home. At least I thought they didn't. Five minutes from the house, I stopped at a red light on the corner of Los Olas Boulevard and 15th Avenue. Shatira and I had been in the middle of an argument over a chick she'd seen me talking to in the club when I heard shots. 911, what's your emergency? I just heard a bunch of gunshots go off and a car sped by. And my servant just left her on a bike to go to... Oh my God, they're turning around, coming back. I'm hanging up. I'm hanging up. Bye. Okay. Okay, ma'am. Okay, ma'am. How many shots did you hear? I don't know. I don't know. But they're coming back and I'm hiding. Witnesses would later tell the police they saw four men pull up in a maroon BMW and open fire. But I didn't see the shooters. I didn't see the car either. I only heard the shots. From the sound of them, I could tell they came from sticks. They were too loud and too fast to have come from a handgun. I hit the gas and peeled off. I turned off Los Olas on 15th Avenue, but I overshot my turn. I was driving drunk, high, and barefoot. My daddy always told me never to drive barefoot. I had leaned on my right side to try to cover Shatira, but before I could look up and straighten the wheel, I lost control of my car and crashed into an apartment building behind the Florida diner. The airbags exploded in our face. And when I went to open my door, I couldn't. It was jammed. I looked at Shatira. Run! Shatira got out of the passenger side and took off running behind the buildings. I finally managed to open my door and went out and followed her. Then I heard the screeching of a car turning around on Los Olas. They were coming back around. Please tell me Shatira did not run behind the building we crashed into. That's the first place they're going to check. Any house but that one. I ran back to the car, grabbed my Cuban link. These niggas weren't getting away with my chain. That piece was four kilos of solid gold. It had cost me 160000 Then I grabbed my Chrome Smith & Wesson 9mm that had fallen between the seats in the crash. I wasn't going to lose Shatira, but I wasn't going to be caught empty-handed when the shooters found us. I ran behind the building. I couldn't find Shatira. It was 5 in the morning, so I couldn't see anything. The backyard was fenced in, so I knew she had to be there somewhere. There was only one way in and one way out. I pulled my pistol from my waistband, prepared for a standoff. A full clip held 15 rounds, but I didn't even know how many were loaded in that moment. Hopefully enough to get us out of there. By the grace of God, I didn't need any bullets. After the shooters pulled the U-turn on Los Olas, they took off north on 16th Avenue. I finally found Shatira curled up in the ball, hiding under the back porch. She was sinking so hard, at first I thought she was hit. She hadn't, but she was damn near having a panic attack. Shatira was hyperventilating when I found her. She heard my footsteps when I came back there, but she couldn't see if it was me from underneath the porch, so she just stayed there silently. The police arrived a couple of minutes later and taped out the crime scene. 18 bullet cases were found shattered through the streets and two storefronts, but they hadn't hit the car. Were they actually trying to kill me? And miss badly or they was just trying to send a message. The detectives took Shakira and I inside the diner to take down our statements. They started asking a whole bunch of police ass questions. I was reading that and I was like, man, you know what? I don't want to call this dude a liar, but this story seems very, very hard to believe, man. It seemed like a movie. Then he said she went to the back and she was like, any street nigga know that's a trap. So I went back to the car and got my gun. 
And I was like, nigga, what is this? Die hard? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was just, it, it's, it's too much. It's, it's too much. The only time that he kind of like drew me in and I became endeared to him as a person was in the beginning when he was talking about his humble yeah. upbringings. But that only lasted a little bit. When he talked about his mom, how she grew up, her dad, you know, how he used to travel from Memphis, make that hour and a half, and then she would spend all that time with him on the weekends on his side job. That was something that I could relate to, you know. Um, then his dad, how he, uh, how his dad met his mom. His dad was 15 years yeah. older than his mom. 15 years yeah. older, bro. That's hard to understand. Well, that was years. back in the days. That's just how it was, how it was, though. His mom had a boyfriend, and his daddy Man. pulled his mom from a little young boyfriend, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, to wait it out. Oh, you yeah. like this nigga? He, he the he the new version of me. I've been this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know all the things he's doing so, on right now. That's crazy. <laughs> he ain't gonna have no job in three years. Just wait. You like him now because he's playing football. But just wait in three years. His ass ain't gonna have no job. I'm gonna scoop you right on up. <laughs> scoop you right on up. <laughs> but uh, that part of the story, that part, and then like how he was. You know, how he was in school. He really wasn't interested in school. You could tell, like you said, Harvey, he was a smart kid. I mean, he's a smart dude. I mean, he's Very he, smart. he comes from Very really smart. smart. He got a yeah. good pedigree. His his daddy his daddy was a college professor at Florida Memorial. His mama, his mom, not just a regular nurse. She's a but nurse what, she's a practitioner. That's what, that's what, but, but, but behind yeah. his house was the projects. Outside his window was flickering lights. Like, right. you know, the idea that those flicking lights would do that know, environment that environment so it's like yo like what does it mean to be successful and educated when you still have to navigate these spaces and what does that look like i think that's what i think at the end of the day bro like i'm not a chess player but the concept right it's only so many spaces on the board and when you're in an environment there's only so many spaces you got to play your roles and rick ross he played these roles you know, he's a cool dude. He don't have no, he don't bring no negative energy, but he playing these roles, man. Just because there's so many, so many spaces on the board. And I think what he's trying to do is buy more space, you know, and that's what he's all. I think what I see is he's, you know, this whole facade, but it's still rooted in the same thing around family. I hear you, but at some point. He's a rapper. When do you? turn it well, off think about it dog. like being a being, being a rapper He's is a, rapper. a character within itself you know right i mean art supposed right. to imitate life rick ross is in a situation when you're a rapper dog the rap game is so unforgiving like i give you a, i give you a prime example right uh you know that just happened recently uh it was a rapper named mo three out of dallas texas he was getting chased by some of his ops which is Ops are short for like, you know what I mean, opponents or guys Opposition. on the other side. Opposition, right, right. So he was getting chased by some of his ops uh, down, the, basically down the highway, leaving his girl house down the highway. Instead of him calling like the police or calling, you know, like 911 for help, in the back of his mind, I mean, he didn't do it, but in the back of his mind, he probably was like, you know what, I can't call for help because maybe this 911 tape is going to get out of me in being a regular civilian a regular citizen saying like, damn, I'm in, I'm in need of help from the police. Is it snitching? Nah, nigga, 
your life is in jeopardy. You got to be able to move the right way. So you got to always be in character once you choose that profession to be a rapper, man. The style of rapper you choose to be is the kind of lifestyle you got to live. And that's very unfortunate because that only stands true for African-American artists when it comes to rap. Only. Because right. everybody else can do whatever right. the fuck you want to do. You a country music singer as much as you Second Amendment this and that. You can call the police. Exactly. <laughs> black yeah. people are on, on, black rappers are the only ones that can't call the police. We're, we're the only people who's like, um, who's not worthy of public defense. Like, for black people, it was always do for yourself, get it how you live, get it out the mud, but everybody else can take advantage of yeah. But my, oh, my main thing, what I'm saying is like, I'm saying, I'm saying the mindset of a rapper, like the mindset of a rapper, you always got to be on, you never off. So you always got to be on character almost, you know, is born out of the ashes of poverty, depression. So those people never had a good relationship with the police or authority anyway, or the system. It was anti-system. Mm. So that's what, so mm -hmm. rap has always hip -hop, taken, hip -hop, yeah, it's hip -hop. always taken that stance yeah mm. but it's is it really because you don't have to rap about street shit like you don't have to it's only hard when you put yourself in that um in that vein because he doesn't have to rap about what he is yeah, rapping about it, it's a, I mean being a rapper is a, being an entrepreneur as well too and you gotta whatever whatever, whatever whatever the market calls for at that time when he was out the market called for bang bang shoot him up drug stories War stories Definitely. and chicks shaking their ass. Kind of similar to what the culture is today, too, you know? Yeah, I'm about to say, that's always there. Nah, he was sleeping on people's couches. That college story was very believable because we can yeah, all okay. relate. I, always, I tell my kids, I said 90% of people drop out of college within the first two semesters because they can't get over homesickness. Right. Uh, we all know that Rick Ross had the acumen right. to perform the work. I just don't never think that he was interested in schoolwork. I mean, some of us just have a, a, a rebellious spirit, though, and I think he kind of has one of those. Because it's, I mean, he, well, you play ball, I play ball. We know what that's like. Yeah. You know? And we we know, we, we know the guys that didn't, that didn't play all four years. Yeah. You know? And they stop for different reasons. But the guys that left after year one and two, you know, we said they ain't had no heart. You know, or their heart wasn't in it. Right, put it that way, right? right? No, nah, absolutely, though. I mean, at, so, at, like, at the same time, it, too, too hard. Like, you know when you're going to college, you, what you're signing up for, in a sense. You may not know to the fullest extent as far as, like, okay, you add the extra component in as far as, like, being away from home and making your own decisions because you're not in your parents' household. But you know what you you know what you're signing up for, you know? Uh, so you know what you, you know, signed up for. You know, you know what the NFL is too, and you know where you are in relationship to it. <laughs> right. And going to that little shit. That little place he, is it long? Is it? Or is it short? <laughs> hey, you, okay. you know where you at, man. Yeah. You know you see it? Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. You can't even yeah. see it. <laughs> Listen. If you ain't got your own sweatsuit, if your sweatsuit is 10 years old, you know you ain't even close to that motherfucker. You, you ain't hanging up. Your sweatsuit ain't got no string on the jack. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> Back then, we had that fly shit. So you got to think what he was wearing. You know what I mean? 
Even with the Albany State, I don't think they had like a lot of money. No, no, no. It serves a different role different people you know what i mean it's got a different history and i think that's the thing about it man i think he went he went to a bougie he again we're talking about black excellence i think that's what those schools really represent um the undercurrent of 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 the 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 high esteem black folks it doesn't come across that way because they, they're poorly funded yeah. You know, but what they represent is hold your head high, speak clearly, show the world that you are important. And I think he I think he still has that in him. But somewhere, you know, school and that whole being in the system, you know, he he, he rather, you know, the streets is fun, I guess. And it's, it's kind of I mean, look, Trevor Noah did the same shit, you know. You know, you yeah, know. he found he found his passion in music, and obviously, he was really, really good at it. Yeah, think about the Rick Ross we have today. In the book, he didn't really blow up until uh, it was a drug dealer told him, "Hey, man, you need to dumb down your lyrics a little yeah. bit." <laughs> and yeah. he was like, "He said, man, you're going too fast. Just slow that shit down and dumb it down a little bit." Yeah, we getting the dumbed down version of Rick Ross. He's a true right. lyricist, so. He true was in school and he was like, man, fuck this football shit. I want to rap. Upbeat dude, man. You know, full of positivity, you know, but just get caught up in some dumb shit. You know, the streets. You know what? Streets, that like is, that is his it's balance just, to his uh to his relationship with the truth. He's a good dude. I think that yeah. he takes care of his artists. It has to be something about him that's that's on the up and up, man, because he's probably the only artist the only recording artist besides Beyonce they got more features from Jay-Z than any <laughs> artist that <laughs> when you read this book dog Jay-Z he got a feature from Jay-Z on his very first song Hustling then from Coming out then the day, on every album there's Jay-Z is on every album that says a lot maybe he's Illuminati too Lenny I know where I was the first time I heard that joint I was traveling and I was driving from um from from Purdue to see my uh, see my wife now, but at the time my girl, she was out in Norfolk. And that shit came on. I called Mickey, the seven dogs, eight or five. Called him up and I was just like, yo, Mickey, like, God dang, this dude Rick Ross got this track and, and Jay-Z is on it and this shit is hustling and hustling and hustling. <laughs> yo, that shit was just stupid, you know. I remember where I was, bro. That shit was crazy. Crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, he's connected, man. He's connected in a way that's just... Yeah, he's bro, a I'm pretty dude, sure man. if you meet him he's in person, he probably has like a personality that would draw you into him. Because like... He's probably funny as hell. Like, look, he's funny probably, as hell. It has to be something about him because reading his story, the people who know him, like he has like... He has like intimate access to the these these drug dealers these big time drug dealers like they know him and they like him he has intimate access to like dj Khaled, the djs he has intimate access to jay-z he has intimate access to a lot of the big names in the industry to puffy to kanye they really really like him so i think it's more than just his talent it has something to do with his uh yeah, and his character. So the the character that I see 
that I opened up with and I said that he has a dysfunctional relationship with the truth is probably not the real Rick Ross. And I believe that if he lets us in on that side of him, I think that his audience base will expand a little bit more. No, you don't think his audience base is already wide enough? No, that you can never have too many fans. There's no such no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think he's probably reached his pinnacle, man. As far as being a rapper, like I heard Master P say something a long time ago. You, you, when you're a rapper, you hot for four to five years, and how you, how you parlay that you success? For four to five years. Four to four to five years, right? Yeah, four to five years, and how you parlay that success is based upon your hustling ability. If you're gonna sell T-shirts, you're gonna sell. Cornflakes, Master P selling pancakes now these days, you know. But he was selling everything. So it's it's up to you as a rapper to be able to party that success. You can't just focus on the music. And Rick Ross said his tail I, I wouldn't say the tail end of his rap career, but it's more so towards the end because he got other investments outside of just the rap game, you know. The majority of his income is is uh, you know, you know, wing stops, restaurants and uh clothing and also uh liquor sales. That's the bulk of his income. Well, I'm going to tell you this, bro. I, I understand what you're saying, and I ain't going to disrespect what P's saying, because what I'm going to say is probably the same thing they're saying. I have not spent a dime on Rick Ross, but every day I go to YouTube, I go to Google Play, <laughs> and I search Rick Ross 2020. I wait for that nigga to drop something every goddamn day, man. And I have no problem doing that shit for the next 10 years. So I'm just letting you know, he got a fan over here, bro. He keep that shit. You, you was talking about authenticity from the beginning. I saw the, 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 the other side of that coin because I thought that the book was all about him validating his space in the rap god kingdom through all those connections. Like, how do you get a, a track with Jay-Z on your first your first time at the mic like that on the first major cut? Well, I got it because of my street connections and my man knew his man. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's the part yeah. about it that really yeah. makes you sit back and be like, all the music now sounds different. You know? I still do saying now. It's like, wait a minute. Like, everything is, va this is validation. So yeah, he has a, 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 a strange arrangement with the truth and, and he's the, the bravado was all there, all of that, yeah. But it's still a whole lot of, yo, I was trying to show you, this is where it comes from. And this ain't, this ain't no accident. And I think that's what we, we I don't want to miss that. It really helps out where he grew up. He grew up in Miami. He had all these connections with legendary cocaine kingpins who in turn had connections with the music game and so he knew a lot of these people personally he's dealt with them personally he's been in some of their homes and when it came that connection what you said with Jay-Z and Jay-Z was doing his thing in New York it was obviously there's only what they say six degrees of separation that they were right. like oh you know you know uh you know Petey yeah, I, I know Petey. Why? 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 Yeah, I used to. Bam. What's up? M M Maybach music. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That's how, you know, he blessed them with the Ma Ma Maybach music. <laughs> so to your point, like, 
I was in grad school doing the Rick Ross phenom. So I, I, I remember where I was, you know, but it's it's all validated. Like all the rhymes are, are, are reflective of spaces. Like what's the, the matchbox jumping? I don't know what the hell a matchbox is. So when I hear this shit, I'm like, what the fuck is a matchbox? But it sounds cool. But you read the book. No, nah, the matchbox was the spot they were selling dope right. at. Like, oh, shit. Like. Because it, it was hot. Makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 to, to me, man, it seems like this book was kind of like decoding a lot of his his life story. You right. know what I'm saying? Because now you can listen back to the music and appreciate it that much more. Some of the stuff is still going to be far-fetched, but some of the stuff you'll be able to listen to the book and then compare it to a couple of songs. Like, you know what, damn, I can see exactly where you're coming from with that. I know exactly what he means. I know exactly what pocket he was in and his time and space and life when it came down to this particular record, you know? Um, I think the part that we missed, though, or missing from the book is like, it, it is validation. It is decoding. But we're still talking about being absent from the truth because there's a there's a void here. Right. And it's like, damn, bro. Like, damn, homie. Like, you did all that. and You still didn't let us let us see the other side. And it's like, damn, that's what we got to do. Yeah, I mean, he, he was kind of vulnerable, though, when he talked about, like, how when he was coming up, they called him. He's very vulnerable. They, 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 they called him Fat Boy, how he was, how he was dusty. He ain't, had a, he ain't had a fly his kicks and clothes, and his mama, mama wasn't buying all that shit, you know what I'm saying? Because she worked so many hours. Oh, But that's, that's, but, yeah, that, that's different. different. But that plays that's into different. your rags to riches yeah, story. Yeah, it's, it's still a truth, though, you but know? But it's a different rags and riches story. It's a made up. It's a made up rag to riches. It wasn't I'm poor because I'm broken. We ain't had shit. It's because my value, my mama values wasn't there. And I wanted this shit anyway. So this is what I had to do to get it. It's a different story. So part of it is like, nah, bro, you picked that path. So because you picked that path, I'm going to celebrate you got to this point and that you try to do it your way. But I don't know that this is the path we want everybody to try to do it. I don't know that everybody can do it this way. But we also got we also got to uh There's a lot of death like, it was a lot of death on this journey. Yeah, it definitely was. I said we also gotta shine a lot on his mother, man. His mother was a was a real deal go getter, man. She took a lot of chances and then because she was raised by her father, she saw a good prime, strong example of how a man should be. That's probably what gave her the courage to even go take that trip down to South, well, move her whole life from uh, Shelby, Mississippi, down to Miami, Florida. So quick story, right? My dad is from uh, that same area in which Rick Ross' parents, well, Rick Ross' mother was from, which is like Shelby, Mississippi, which is down in the Delta. My dad is I from thought she was from Clarksdale. No, nah, she said her dad was from Shelby. Okay, her, her dad's from, her Shelby. Dad from Shelby. Right, but she was she was yeah. And they had to move back. They had to move back to. Uh, they had moved to Clarksdale. My dad was from Shelby. Okay. So, basically, down in the Delta, um, it's a real, you know, small rural area full of uh, sharecroppers, which her, her, her granddad was a sharecropper a uh, long time ago was too. Uh, so my dad said that like when he moved from Mississippi, uh, Holland, Mississippi, down to, uh, basically Fort Lauderdale, Florida, he said that. The biggest thing for him was the culture shock as far as like how many roles they had. He's like, bro, they got so many fucking roles down here. Like, why do they have so many roles and so many cars? <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things. Yeah, it's the small things. He say, he said he never felt like he never felt what anxiety was in his life until he was driving one day. And he said back in the day, he said, son, look, we didn't have no GP, we didn't have no GPS. 
All we had was roadmaps. And he said, if you were driving locally, you didn't too much use a roadmap. You would just ask somebody for directions. You pull over, pay phone, dime a quarter, call somebody. Hey, look, I'm on the corner of sample and power line and you get your ass back home or whatnot. But he just was saying that like it was so overwhelming mm-hmm. to see that many people uh, comparison to his hometown. My dad's hometown, it was less than less than 2000 people in his hometown growing up. Everybody went to the same to the same elementary school, middle school, and then high school. And I'm sure it was like that in Shelby as well, too. Population was very small as well, too, you know. But for her to go from there to Miami, Florida, and we know how Miami, Florida is, you know. It was a culture shock. And for her to stick in and still maintain and still be, uh, become a nurse practitioner and still do a thing and still raise her, her kids, uh, even though the family separated with, you know, the dad, you know, leaving or whatnot, he moving back up to his hometown, uh, I mean, I got to tilt my hat to her. You know, she did her thing. When, when they first moved to Miami, they came right on the cusp of that that whole Fidel Castro and those uh, fugitives. So they came right when Miami Cocaine turned. Cowboy. That cocaine so, cowboy shit. Right. She was scared. He was talking about how she was in the house and she was like, you know, what is all this? And then you had that. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he grew up in. So Harvey, to to speak on what you were saying, that's all he saw. If you went outside to play, right. that's what you was gonna do. So do you blame right. him or do you blame his parents for putting him in that environment? He is a product of his it environment. Like it seems like they probably didn't have opportunity to live somewhere else. Yeah, you know, you talking about red right. line right, and right, right. all those other kind of things. Mm-hmm. And and living in Carroll City was middle yeah. class, and you know doing redlining. Even though his dad was a professor at Florida Memorial well, and his mom was a nurse, a nurse practitioner, they had money. They they, they could, couldn't live in certain they areas. They should have lived somewhere yeah, else, they right? They, they, they quote unquote. His dad had his dad used to yeah. buy him a Commodore sixty four. <laughs> I don't know if you know anything right. about that, uh, Walt. He had all. He but had, if you he, had a Commodore sixty four back then, you had money. That's like a PlayStation Five. He had all the game sets, you know. He had all the games. That's, no, it's, it's more like a, a a Commodore 64. Is more like a computer game set. That's before Atari became like really popular. If you had like mm-hmm. a Commodore 64, it's like oh, you barely even you barely knew people who had a Commodore 64. His dad made sure that he had mm-hmm. all the right stuff. But even with that, his friends didn't have it. And his friend, his best friend, Jabari, daddy was a big time dope boy, mm-hmm. Big Mike. So these are, this is the thing I mean, that, that he was, saw. That was, that's the part about it to me that's very relatable. I mean, that was my experience growing up. Like, not to exaggerate the, the computer engineering and the nurse, but the idea that I had a stable home, but I was one of the few of my friends that had stable homes. Or most of my friends didn't. And I think that's the, that's the narrative of, the kids that are growing up in the 70s, um, early 80s, is that we had the opportunity. Some of us, we, we, we were quote-unquote middle class, but we weren't, you know? And so, like, if he's not living in this neighborhood, does he stay in college? Because he's going to be more Will Smith. <laughs> he's going to be more inclined to be like his father. Well, his father, you know, doesn't leave. But, like, you know, if, if those kind of things, if he's not in that neighborhood, you know, and we don't know the answer to those questions. And he also had a lot of luck on his side, man, because uh, it was times Absolutely. where he where he barely missed being caught up in a drug raid. They, they never knew his name. They, they knew his fat boy. boy, fat boy with a yeah. truck. 
<laughs> fat boy with the truck. They don't know me. They just know fat boy with the truck. <laughs> I got the same lawyers, T.I. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, he had like a, yeah, there was like a few like agency moments where it was like, damn, he should be in jail, ain't it? And it was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, when you was telling that story about your, your dad and all that connecting with, with Shelby, Mississippi, <laughs> I heard, I heard that, that, that damn tune that, don't, 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 don't. We had five rows and came to South Florida and they had Twitter <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I think that to me, but to your point, that's that Ross, that's that richness of the black culture, man, that's captured in this book, man. I appreciated that shit, Nanny. I ain't gonna I ain't gonna take away from that, but I think it's a I think it's a snapshot of black culture, the richness of it. You know, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so there's a lot of his there's a lot of his past that's reflected in his music that's real. Mm -hmm. His whole thing with 50 Cent, that lets me know that he's a real dude because he wasn't afraid of 50 Cent. He was like, nigga, you just like, I, I'm used to this. I grew up around this, so you ain't gonna bully me. And then he started right. going in on 50 Cent. He was like, right. nigga, the, the type of dope boy you was, you was the you was the kind of dude that washed my car. You know, you was the kind of, <laughs> you was the kind of dope boy that, you know, we right. gave money to to go get the blunts from the store. Stop over here stunting and punking he these people because you got the right one. Because you got to right. think about it. He sent the shot at 50 Cent first. He saw the play that 50 Cent was trying to make to leverage him to get to Fat Joe. Since he was a street dude and he grew up around street people, he understood that chess move that 50 Cent was trying to make. So he threw a shot at 50 Cent first when he was right. saying, oh, stupid, silly nigga, you burned up your baby mama house. Don't forget yeah. the gas can. Yeah, don't forget the gas can. So that lets me know that Ross, he is a real dude. I just wish he could bring more of that realness out instead of that realness in character. Nah, why? Why? We like, don't we need, need you being we character all the that. time. Said, yes, we do. Yeah, Ross, uh, yes, we do. No, P. Yes, people do though. Some people need you to be a character twenty four seven because they can't handle who the real you is, and they don't. What whatever the real you is is not something they can actually process. So sometimes you gotta get what I can give you because. So it's like 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 being a black drug dealer and then making it to become a rapper is like being a black superhero in a sense to so many people in the hood because the raps he rap about sometimes uh, elevates the average person's mind that's from these neighborhoods and these environments to like living like damn you know what what's satin cheeks what's Egyptian cotton right what's uh what's uh what's Pineapple. the <laughs> yeah what, what's what's diced pineapples I only had pineapples out of the can before you know. <laughs> like Dice, certain things, certain your things that he said. Give your girl infection food with those sugars. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and, but 
I, I, I'm not into that. Again, that's like that's the fantasy of if I was rich, this would I, this is how I would live. I would put a crown on my head with rubies and and diamonds. And, you know, it's obvious that he has some type of insecurities, which he shouldn't have. I think he has insecurities about how lazy on, his eyes man. are. That's we why. All, that's why he wear those. We all, we that's why he wear those shades. But anyway, but this is what I want to say. We all into. We all into. This is what I want to say. <laughs> we all. Into I think that. that I think his role to making it as a legit artist was very hard. And oh, I think and, and I think that, you know, by him Absolutely. going up to Atlanta, you know, with his home, he still he was juggling. He had one foot in, one foot out. One foot in, one foot out of the ghetto. But anyway, he had one foot in, one foot <laughs> out. He ended up fleeing to Atlanta, sleeping on people's couches. He ended up meeting uh mm-hmm. was 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 Tomcat. He was uh, staying with Tomcat, ended up meeting Tony Draper, writing okay. rhymes, uh, writing a uh, ghostwriting for this artist named Noah. He was not really getting paid, but he had pride, and I think that pride came from what you was talking about earlier. He separate. He started pulling naturally, started pulling himself away from his peers because mm-hmm. he he did have a mm-hmm. mom, he did have a dad, and he did have like he was naturally smart. And that's what he did. These other people was playing with it. That he was an artist, artist. That's what pulled him away from school. Why they right. so so cream right. rise to the to, uh, right. cream rises to the top, and he started making all these sacrifices. Right. Then he started seeing everybody else blow up around him with his intellectual property. He saw Trina. He saw right. what he did for a slip and slide. He started seeing what he started doing for all these other people. He had a song come out with uh. He had a song with uh, Eric B. I mean, uh, EPMD, Eric Sherman, and EPMD that he never really, uh, it never really uh, put him on the platform. So once he came out, once they call him, what's that? Those guys named Cool Runners from Orlando, and they call yeah, him the runners, yeah. mm. the, runners. They, the runners, and they call him with that beat for uh, for hustling. And you know, talent is talent. And he was riding around and just playing that instrument, that instrumental, and he he wrote that. And and once that song broke for him, he said that I'm never going backwards to where I've been because the struggle is real. And now he said that he was his fear was to be up on those where they are now. And I'm 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 taking right. a long time to get to to get to my point I'm trying to make. He was so paranoid to going back. He was so paranoid to living out of his truck and sleeping on uh, people's couches. He was so paranoid to being seen as a failure that he said that he didn't spend any of his money or his show money. And uh, he gave his money to his mom and she bought him a house. Then his mom started floating him. Right. So mm-hmm. once he really started mm-hmm. making it and that allegation and trick daddy started coming out with Officer Ricky, it was so hard for him to embrace that truth because he was so afraid that that could jeopardize all that hard work that he put in and it could all come tumbling down for something that he did in the past and it's not really what it was. That's why he beat the shit out of Vlad. Because Vlad Vlad was threatening his livelihood and it was threatened to bring him back to a place that he worked so hard to get out of. It's almost like a woman who came out of the hood and married real good and now have a really good lifestyle and she married a rich the right guy. Person, huh? 
Did he pick the right person? Did he pick the right person? Vlad. You're right. Well, Vlad. What you mean? Did he pick the right person? Yeah, you know how they be like, you know, he don't mess with everybody. You know, he, he picked on this person, but he ain't pick on that person. Like, <laughs> oh, he got the right one that time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so it's kind of like a woman. A woman would go through a lot just not to go back to where she was, that lifestyle that that where she was. She ain't gonna let another woman threaten it, and she ain't gonna let you threaten to bring her lifestyle back. And that's kind of like how he was. I'm not comparing Rick Ross to a woman because obviously he's not. And right. uh, one more thing, he knows where he came from. He know how hard it was to get, and he knows that he's a true lyricist. And I think that's why he treats his artists the way that he treats his artists. And he has like this special thing in his heart for reward knows who is doing the work. So, and I think that's, I think that's why he, the whole officer Ricky, it was really hard for him to come to grips to to, to tell the truth about that. But in the same time, that kind of hurt him. Yeah. So you want to see that at the beginning of the book though. No, yeah, not at the I, beginning I, of the book. I wanted to see it when it was happening in real time for him to address it. Come forward. Properly. Nah, man. And, and you, don't, you, don't come, because, you don't come forward with that, man. You don't come forward with no, that. No, no. Once, once it came out, you could he could have did that. He could have said, yeah, but that was during the time when I came out of college. I was trying to find a job living at my mama's house. I tried to get his hustling thing up, but it kept calling me. Yeah, he could have. But and, that, and everybody can understand that. I can understand that. Nah, man. You can understand it because you're a person that has a, you, you're an adult, but that, 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 that his, his consumers is not going to un- understand that at that time, man. They not. The they hustling not. flow had just came out. And remember how hustling flow ended? When, when, when Terrence is, is going, he going into the prison and them, them COs is coming up to him like, yo, 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 you, <laughs> yeah. you that dude, you that rapper? Like, that's how I saw Ross when Ross first came out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> when, when that CEO came out. I was like, yo, is that what he was doing? Yo. DJ, man. DJ. Hard out here, man. But, hey, but I, th- yeah. I think we all can attest to uh, us being paranoid of like feeling. You know, I know I felt a paranoia, a paranoia of feeling when I went to college, man. Like feeling of like not, well, not coming back home, like not having a degree. Put it like that. Like I, I felt paranoid my entire four years of college that I was up there, man. Like not, like trying to try, try to like missed up the pitfalls. And then when I got to that pedestal, I graduated. I was like, damn, you know what? I'm happy now. But Rick Ross' paranoia is more so not going back to his hometown. He didn't have that same paranoia when he was at Auburn State because he didn't care too much for the education. Well, he didn't care too much for the environment and the education. But when it came down to something that he actually really loved, he felt that paranoia because it took him 10 plus years to get to that pedestal, you know, for that first real album to come out. He also knew that Miami didn't embrace him. Exactly. you know, yeah. like like he should have been embraced. That's why he was quick to leave. At you know, he gave him that Port of Miami album, and then bam, he came up to Atlanta. All the blacks people go to paradise. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the old yeah. saying though, man. What is it? Prophet's not welcome in his own home. You got to take your shit on the road. I kind of agree. I mean, but that's just I didn't really like the. I don't say I didn't like the book, but I wasn't excited with this read after reading it or. While I was reading, I guess I should say. It just kind of... I mean, it was interesting, but I don't know. At some point, it just kind of just dragged for me. 
But dog, like it's for for me, I can relate to it a whole lot because like I grew up in a two a two family household, but I also dealt with some of the same pressures that Rick Ross had to deal with, bro. Like playing pop one of football down here in South Florida, bro, you gonna be exposed to a lot of local drug dealers, man. And it's up to you as a kid who's nine, ten to fifteen years old to understand and know how to avoid those pitfalls of that lifestyle uh it's also up to you to understand how to you know avoid taking so much money because i used to get money sometimes from drug dealers man like playing football game we win a game they be the better you know five seven thousand dollars on the game and i get a hundred dollars you know but i gotta hide it from my moms because well, well, that's, that. that's, that's the what? coolest shit though when you get that that's you so cool when you get that hundred dollars from that dope boy Tell yeah, me that shit didn't feel cool. It's cool as hell, but it's also enticing too because you started to want more. But I didn't never, I didn't never need the money because my dad provided everything I actually needed. You know, it was no like extra outside of need. But Rick Ross situation where his dad left at a certain time period and his mom was the only person bringing money into the household and he was intrigued by his homeboy's Jabbar's dad. Believe it or not, I think I think he saw Jabbar Jabbar's dad. As a father figure in his life, all the drug dealers, he took a piece of this person, or took a piece of Jabari's dad, took a piece of uh, Booby, took a piece of all the the local drug dealers, and, and pretty much combined those people to create his personality and his persona, and it the, all that stuff displayed within his raps. I think that's what we all do, though. We all we all are amalgamation of the people that we grew up around during our our development years. That's exactly what we are. And 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 then that's a that's a good observation of Rick Ross. I can look at this book, man, and, and see why he he wrote the book. He wrote the book, A, probably more so for his 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 kids to be able to understand, you know, daddy's lifestyle and um how daddy grew up and also be able to to tell those stories of those previous generations, man. I think so many times in African American uh, our media families that those stories either die with Big Mama or they die with Grandmama most of the time and never get told, right. you know. So for him to, you know, take the initiative to be able to write this memoir uh, and have his personal and immediate family history documented and etched in stone forever, you got to tip your hat to the guy for that, for doing that, you know. He also thought he was going to fair prison for a long time, so this is definitely... Something you do when you think you're going away. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Hey, listen, man. The book, yeah. like the the photos in the book from his childhood, and, and it kind of like walks you from his childhood to high school to college to him like hanging oh, out with, it's got with, with. Uh, yeah, in the middle of the book, the photos in the middle of the book. Oh shit! I've been yeah. reading these damn ebooks on my phone, dog. Oh, I ain't seen my phone. Yeah, nah, bro. It's, it's in the it's in the middle of the book. Like it's yeah, like yeah, page after chapter twelve. Chapter yeah, twelve. Uh, oh, yeah, the photos shit. in the book, man. It kind of like it endears you to him, and you see him more of this. He humanized him. <laughs> he got them red tent photos. Oh, you see you see him now? No, I don't. I'm just yep. like guessing. Yeah, he has the red tent photos. Got them red. The red, and, and, he, and he got the like a little photo photos. of him like at a carnation with this girl. He looked like he about 14. Walt, what would you rate this book? One or ten? Man, I give it a I give it an eight point five, huh? 
8.5, man, huh? Nah, 8.5, like I said, man, I, it was a it was a timepiece and a soundtrack of my life. So obviously I'm a little biased as it pertains to Ross. But um I appreciated the book. I appreciated the story. I uh, appreciated the the humble beginnings of his parents. I appreciated the uh, the uh, the fortitude and also the hell the 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 trials and tribulations he had to to go through in order to get to where he at today. So everybody's story is going to be different, man. So even if it's a little bit fa- fabricated, even if it's uh, extra drama and dramatic field, <laughs> I was reading this. I was reading this book, man. Like in his. Cause I got the book and the audio book, so I was reading this book in in the tone of his voice, how he tells stories. You know what I mean? So it was like I was really tuned into it. Um, Does he narrate the, the audio book? And nah, that was some other guy. Some other guy, yeah. Say, bro. No, that would be dope if he narrated the audio. That would be fly. Yeah, though. Trevor oh. narrated his though. For his book. Yeah, but overall, eight point five dollars. Oh, what you give it, Donovan? Mm, like a six. Mm. A six? I mean, in terms of like literary contribution to the black community, it's like a six and a half, seven. In terms of an enjoyable read, I mean, I'm a Rick Ross fan. Um, I finished this book in like a day or so. So, you know, it's a good book to share with somebody. Hey, I read a good book. Hey, man, it was definitely a nine and a half to me. If you like Rick Ross, you're going to like this book. So... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because you get Rick Ross. <laughs> yeah, you definitely, you definitely going to get Rick Ross. I was telling people, man, I read a Rick Ross book. I read a Rick Ross book. Hey, yo, he, he was telling the truth. He was telling the truth. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that part of it, but it's definitely not like a, um, you know, in terms of like, a, again, like, you know, it, it's not, these, these reads are, are good, but they're, I can't read them with the same, critical lens as a, a real writer you know what i mean yeah. and 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 i can't do that i can't i can't put it in the same category um as a as a as a brit you know or well you know i think neil martinez uh, but it's, Belkin it's cool. is a real writer so rick that's that's, that's the, the editor yeah that's the editor yeah hold on Oh, so, I mean, so you said Charlemagne didn't write his book. <laughs> you hear the bias? Oh, you no, said Charlemagne, he didn't write that shit. When I'm sitting there telling you, when I'm sitting there telling you who wrote the Rick Ross book, you're going to say, you're not going to submit. You're going to say, oh, that's the editor. That's the editor. I'm like, no, nigga, that's the writer. What you mean? <laughs> dog, it's the same same difference, dog. They're the same to me, dog. There's, but it's just, that, it's just the same way Ray Ross didn't write his book. He had a Charlemagne uh, had an editor. Yeah, because an editor he could have written he could have written the book and then he gave it to an editor and they could have fixed the grammar and say say this a little bit better or this will flow. Yeah. That's an editor. <laughs> he spoke he spoke that shit in the microphone. <laughs> And ask questions, and that nigga transposed it and published it and called himself a writer. That's not a writer, bro. That's not a writer. I mean, that's a person that's good with words. That's not a writer. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna put those. And I'm not gonna disrespect people like that. So it's definitely a gift, you know. But I think that you know, I I want to go back to that whole point again though about what what an artist is, what a hip hop artist mm-hmm. is, and what words mean and how words attract certain energies and 
why not just say I'm sorry or I made a mistake um that wasn't true oh um, about the correctional situation anything right anything like is as a strategy as a point as a point of, of reference like I've heard on several occasions never confess never you know go back in the shit you know you don't you let shit lay you don't stir up shit and that's what I'm saying about Rick Ross man he's mastered shit you understand what I'm saying mm-hmm. like 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 sometimes you know he's showing you sometimes you, let, you just gotta let them think what the fuck they gonna think bro fuck it fuck it let it be let it be. You made mistakes. Fuck it. You're not human. Fuck it. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. And I think that's what I took away from the book. It goes back to what my theme and my overall and, you know, my overall of him as a person and not as the book. I think the book, it was uh, it drew you into him as a person. I, I enjoyed his backstory. I enjoyed his humble beginnings as an artist and how he he did put the put selling crack aside to really try to focus on his career at the expense of him sleeping on somebody's floor. Also, he was very prideful that they didn't even know that he was sleeping in his car and he wouldn't let them know that. And, you know, he had a way of making himself freshen up and, you know, where he could disguise it. So he, he is the master of disguise. I mean, he is a, uh, a magician, but go to what you were saying. Sometimes people, they see your tricks. Sometimes somebody pull back the veil and they see that they see what you're doing. And once they see that you, what you're doing and they confront you, that's the time to be honest. And I think that he had plenty of opportunities to be honest and particularly with the correctional officer thing. The way he described in the book, of his stint of being a correctional officer was so relatable and it was so where anybody I felt like anybody could have been like oh okay I can see how that is it could it, and it still wouldn't have it wouldn't have taken those stripes away from you as a person or your street cred would have still been intact you know anybody drug dealers somebody has to have a job someday he got a job because he dropped out of college and he wanted to uh he wanted to honor his mother. That's something I think that is, uh, I think that's upstanding. I think that's honorable. And I think that he could have just came out with their story, but he didn't. And by him dodging that, it, it dug him into, like he even described that. He, he explained that in the book, it got him in, in, uh, one lie had to lead to another lie and to another lie. And before you know it, he looked up, he felt like everybody considered him as a liar, and which was true. You know, I I thought him right. Yeah, it was that's the, consequence. the consequence of that. So, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's, that's the, the lesson, lesson in and that. I think that he probably learned that lesson. But to the book, I enjoyed the read, even though again, you know, if I could separate the story from the person, it was an okay story. Um, I I like like if you a rapper and you read this, you can see that. You know, things didn't happen overnight. Sometimes you got to change your flow. Sometimes you got to change your the people around you. He had to change his managers. You know, he's constantly keeping everybody sharp. 
So um I'm gonna get his book a five. <laughs> Damn all of that. All that praise. <laughs> I would hate for Lynn to be my teacher, man. God. The story was well developed. <laughs> I like the characters he had in it. Um, it was really unique. I give this a three out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> out of ten, damn, Mister G. I didn't like that color. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Mister G. <laughs> hey, hey, man. hey, hey if build them up to exactly. break them down was a person. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, man. This going to be fun. I think we're good. And well, what's the next book we're going to read, bros? What's the next book y'all want to read? The book I got, I got the last book or well, book I'm reading right now is the uh, that Black Tax book. Um uh actually Harvey posted in in the group chat maybe like a couple of weeks ago or whatnot. Yeah. Uh I'm down yeah. to chapter uh, what diversity minority does not mean black man. It's a lot of stuff in this book that I didn't know about. Like I knew about some of the stuff, but a lot of stuff I didn't know about, man. Like, and it's, it's really like disturbing to know some of these like actual facts about like, hold on the black, the black tax, the yeah. cost of being black in America. Right. Yeah. It's right. It put, by yeah. Sean, it's just disturbing to know some of these like, really, like these, these facts about like, uh, like, Black you can't get around tax. it. It's almost can't get around it, man. You can't get around it, and also on top of that, it's you like can't damn, get bro. It. You... Like damn, but we getting taxed on top of a lot of shit, man. That shit was that shit was it was it was damn that hard for me to read, well, hard for me to listen to because of the fact that it was so many booby traps that prevented black people just from getting money in general, like the everyday common shit, bro. You can't get around it. About. Like God damn, it's like really? it's like it's simple too. It's real quick, but a lot of times what happens is we can let our success fool us. Like, I know, for example, I pay for what I can afford, right? And I try not to let it bother me because I say if I can afford it, I can have it. But what the black tax is showing you is it doesn't matter what you can afford and what you're paying. You're still paying more than that motherfucker is. Like, it doesn't matter how much you're getting paid. You're still getting paid less. Like, it does not freaking matter, so it's like, yeah, like like you can live where you want to live. You can have what you want to have. You can move how you want to move. But just know. You're still getting less and making less. Your dollar is not working for you the same way, bro, because of because of because of bias. Yeah. Because of simple bias. Well, like when I was reading this, I started getting mad. I'm like, damn, this is so true, bro. So look, look. So, bro, let me tell you a quick story. Right. So what happened is that, like, I was going to contracts with a lot of different, like, you know, small, like, real estate investment companies are doing their parking lots, right? And then uh, this contractor that I met, this white guy, older white guy, maybe in his 70s, he said, man, do you ever ask them for competing bids? I'm like, I thought that shit was private information, you know? So I did it one time, right? I say, look, do you have any other bids that's already out? You know, as other bids on the same job that's already out. Mm. So I, I asked him that for the numbers, right? He said, yeah, just ask for the numbers. And then maybe they may send you over the competing bid. What the price? That'll give you the threshold where you should be at, Bruh, I'm looking at the threshold where these other white companies are bidding at, Bruh, They damn near twenty five percent higher than what I would ever even charge for these jobs. And I'm knowing these jobs don't cost this much fucking money to uh, produce and still. And I'm I'm making a profit margin 
on myself for 40 percent so i'm thinking like damn if i'm making 40 percent and they charging 25 percent more than what i'm making on these jobs if i come in at least 20 percent higher i should make 60 percent profit on this you know what i'm saying on this on this job so but seeing that and then starting to ask them for that information over and over and over it was a constant thing that made me start bidding higher when it came down to my prices Sometimes I get, sometimes I don't, but still just knowing like how they bid and how they getting awarded these bids a lot of times, like, damn, bro, it's, it's crazy, man. And also down to the cart. Yeah, man, that shit was alarming, bro. Thank you for listening to the Bros Bullshit. Be sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and tune in next time as we dissect the book, The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America by Sean D. Rochester. Thank you.